Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. And I am the other host, uh, Quinton. That's what we're going to go with this week. Just Quinton. Quinton. Don't up with your government. Yeah. I got a lot of, I have a lot on my mind right now, bro. So okay. I couldn't cool. even get my, I can't even, I can't even get my normal intro off. <laughs> Everything is right. not cool. Right. Well, this I'm is, about this is, as upset as I've been in a very long time, and I'm I'm trying to, to keep a at least some sort of smile on my face, so I don't fully allow myself to to kind of slip into just feeling negative today. Well, I I appreciate that, but you do understand that you know um, sometimes when you're dealing with it my job is to be a little stronger because i know you're always stronger when i'm going through it too so this is the space for it and we're gonna have our therapy today we got a lot of important things to talk about some are encouraging and some are naturally a bit disheartening but you know all of it together is the reality that we have to deal with so uh if you're tuning in be sure to stick around we're going to be talking about uh a civil suit that um, is moving forward uh, against a police officer who shot and killed, oh, shot, I believe the dog survived, um, a dog. And obviously there's some natural comparisons we have to make there. Um, And then a little later in the show, we're going to talk about the eroding support for the BLM movement. I uh, don't want to alarm anyone because it's not eroded, but it certainly has waned a bit. And that's the reality of the situation. We have to deal with it and we will. Um, and plenty of other things to stick around for as well. But first, like we always do at this time, we are going to talk about some ebony excellence. So this week, um, I'm really proud of this young lady. Uh got a story from a woman named Erin Jackson. She took first place in the women's 500 in Tomasau Mazowiecki, Poland, the first stop of the speed skating World Cup season. In the process, she became the first black woman to win a World Cup. She beat out Japan's defending 2018 Olympic champion, now Kodiara, by 0.13 seconds. The competing field also included all three of the medalists who competed at the World Championships in February 2021, an event Jackson did not compete in. According to the Associated Press, uh, prior to her win on Friday, uh, last Friday, um, her previous best World Cup finish was in ninth place. She told the Dutch broadcaster NOS that her win was a big surprise, adding, I was hoping to be in podium position. And she is also dreaming of Olympic gold, but for now it's anyone's game. And she has been celebrated online by lots of folks. Um, And of course, there's lots to celebrate there. Anytime someone, you know, takes center stage in a sport that's not known to be associated with, you know, their race or their culture or whatever like that, it's certainly newsworthy, but around here, we also understand there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that folks tend to endure think black person in an event based in snow 
And so for us, it's a little bit more special to acknowledge that ebony excellence because we know that oftentimes it's not as easy as I just made it to the podium. Sometimes it there's a lot of nights where you have to really deal with your identity and uh, a lot of backlash for being simply who you are. So once again, shout out to Aaron Jackson, this week's ebony excellence. Now, I have on this show made comparisons to dogs before. I have made comparisons comparisons to white, blonde-haired young women before. In terms of if justice is really blind, this person should be treated the same way as a blonde-haired white, you know, attractive woman, you know, justice should be blind and not distinguish between persons. Um, and we found that that is not often the case, according to our view of the world. Um, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, had he been a white woman, <laughs> you know, he might not have been chased in a truck and gunned down by people trying to take the law into their own hands. And, you know, you can take that comparison and apply it to pretty much every story and you see that black people are treated differently by either those with authority or those who feel like they have some authority over black bodies and how black bodies should move in time and space um but the one about dogs that comparison doesn't come up until we're talking about um a different, like a, like violence specifically. Um, not necessarily the treatment or the interactions or, you know, uh, the, the assumed guilt or whatever, but the actual treatment of the physical being. Right. And the idea there is to suggest that with respect to public outcry, um, and certainly prior to 2020, because this isn't something, this isn't a new comparison for me. I've been on this hill. This is one I'll die on. You know, um, I noticed a long time ago that if people mistreat cats, dogs, you know, whatever, um, you know, there's oftentimes a public outcry, certainly if it's on video, because I, I, I couldn't tell you why, because I'm not a white person. Um, but I would imagine that oftentimes my white brothers and sisters who perhaps don't interact with black folks as often as people who live in cities do, you know, they maybe have a relationship with dogs a little bit more differently, or I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but the thing that always surprised me is that in these videos, in these videos where we're seeing people get stomped out by the police or beaten or shot or whatever the case is, um, especially when they pose no real threat, you know, it's, it's ready, fire, aim. You know, we did a, a couple of episodes ago about the ready, fire, aim mentality found in a lot of police interactions um, that those white folks, the middle America white folks who perhaps don't interact with a lot of black people, they, the surprising part is that they, maybe it just doesn't feel like they relate to the videos they see 
the human part of the videos. And they relate more to a video of someone abusing a dog. And that's why you get that outcry and that, that, that outrage. And so making that comparison often, I believe it often challenges my white brothers and sisters who, you know, have difficulty connecting, you know, right and wrong to the, to the right and wrong things um, or that want a victim blame or whatever the case is, whatever, the, whatever they're dealing with in that moment. Um, it stops them and has them challenge their, their own prejudices. Would this be okay if the officer did this to a dog? Yes or no? Those are your only two options. Is the answer no? Then why is it okay for an officer to do this to a human being? Is it because this human being is black? Let's ask the question differently. If this was a white woman who was pretty and was 19 years old, would this be okay for the officer to do this to, the, to that woman? Is the answer still no? Now you're, what you're doing is coming to terms with your actual prejudices, right? And so this is why these questions have always been very important whenever I've been on the radio um, and having to ask questions that really compel uh, those folks on the fringes to really consider their biases and, and really come to terms with their prejudices and their racism. Um, and you know, people have had a tough time with that one over the years because no one wants to be called racist. And I think a lot of folks in their heart of hearts don't really feel that way. But where is the outcry? Where is the reaction? You know, um, you know, I had a conversation with a close friend once upon a time who it was about the Ahmaud Arbery case where, you know, he, he walked into a house. This is the way the story goes, according to my memory. These aren't in my notes right now. So forgive me if it's not entirely accurate, but... Ahmaud Arbery walks into a house that's being constructed, takes a look around, walks out, goes on his merry way and gets followed by um, some folks in the truck. You know, a little bit of a struggle ensues. They pull the shotgun out, shoot him. He dies in the street. Um, and had that been, you know, the, the 19 year old or 26 year old, pretty blonde haired white female snooping through the house just to check out what's going on, does she end up in that same situation? Right. So the conversation I was having with my friend, um, he said, well, that guy shouldn't have been in that house. It wasn't his property. Obviously, if you're in there, you're up to no good. And, you know, he had all these like this victim blaming mentality. Again, a good friend of mine. And, and he, if you're in case you're wondering, he is a white male, a little bit older than me, but um, he's married to a black woman and as a result has black children, um, lives a very multicultural life. He's surrounded by different types of people all the time. I believe him to be a very loving man, a very dear friend of mine. And I had to reframe the problem for him in the same way. Um, and then I told him something that I, I still believe to be true because he knows me, he loves me. I said, once upon a time, I built a house in a city. I built the house from scratch. And I was interested in the construction you know, I paid for the house and the builders were building it. Let me be clear. Um, but I would go and visit my plot of land <laughs> and check it out. It was the coolest thing to me. I wanted to know what was inside of the walls. So oftentimes I'd be out in a field for everyone to see, looking at the cement that was poured that would go underneath the tile that I ordered, you know, and um, it just fascinated me to observe this process. And if I had lost my life in much the same way that Ahmaud Arbery lost his life, would you be upset about that? And the thing is, we can't 
Ahmad Aubrey is dead. He can't tell his version of the story. Why were you in the house? Were you checking it out? You know, obviously we saw that he wasn't stealing anything. Furthermore, what do you steal from a house? What harm do you cause? He was on a jog. He stopped to investigate something he thought was cool, went on about his business. Um, this is the way the story came back. You know, the trial's still going on um, as of this recording. So we'll see what, what happens. But um, in any event, uh, making these comparisons, I think, is very important. Today's story, um, what it does is it shows why these comparisons are necessary. So allow me to read. Uh, my sources come from the nation.com and the New York Post, by the way. U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, uh, which, by the way, covers Minnesota, Missouri, and others, issued a ruling that pierced the veil of qualified immunity and allowed a lawsuit to go forward against a police officer that shot two dogs. The facts of the case are not in dispute. In 2017, the Minneapolis police responded to a house alarm that was accidentally set off at the home of Jennifer LeMay. One of her kids had tripped the alarm by mistake, and when the home security company called, LeMay told them to cancel the alert, but cops were already on the way. One officer went to the front of the house and was met by one of LeMay's kids who told the officer there was no problem, but a different cop. Officer Michael Mays went around the back of the house, scaled a privacy fence, and ended up in the backyard. There, the cop was greeted by LeMay's service dogs, Sirac and Rocco. Um, now, the, with a dog named Sirac, I, I feel like I have to tell you that LeMay was a white woman. She just named her dog Sirac. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, she might have a little bit of culture because that's, that's awesome to me. That's so funny. Anyway, uh, the officer she got a lot of bit of she got a lot of bit of culture. She named her dog Sirac, Sirac right? So anyway, um, he did that for the temple one time. But uh, so both of the dogs were five-year-old American Staffordshire Terriers. I'm not a dog person. So I don't know what that means. Mays says Sirac quote charged him, but his body camera footage shows the dog walking toward him, wagging his tail. Mays backs up, Sirac keeps approaching, and Mays shoots the dog in the face. There is a video. I don't recommend you watch it. Uh, Sirac runs away, but at that point, Rocco moves toward Mays, again, in a friendly, tail-wagging manner. Mays then shoots Rocco multiple times. Both, dog lives, both dogs lived and are still going to go to heaven, but at a much later date, hopefully. Um, the Eighth Circuit Court ruled that Mays was not entitled to qualified immunity because he did not face imminent danger. Now, that's a big deal because qualified immunity, I, I read online, I, I don't know how true it is. I only try to pull from reputable sources, and if I don't, then I will say that. But I read online, there's like a policeunion.com website or something like that. that The police union was really trying to ensure that this officer could continue to hide behind qualified immunity and trying to reframe the narrative that the dog was growling or something like that um, to justify the officer's fear in shooting the dog. They were really trying to protect this officer. Um, But the court argued that Mays violated a clear constitutional rule, finding that it is clearly established that an officer cannot shoot a dog in the absence of an objectively legitimate threat. This language is important. The court is saying that a general fear of dogs, or specifically pit bulls, 
is not enough to justify deadly force. The threat to the officer has to be an objective one. Um, now, these are some sort of terriers. I don't know if they look like pit bulls or I don't, I don't know. What yeah, the Staffordshire Terrier looks almost exactly like a pit bull. Where's Bond? Okay. So this case is important because... Well, first, let's let's peel back a couple of layers of qualified immunity. Okay. You just just a heads up to you and our audience. Mm-hmm. You just almost lost your co-host. Mm. I don't want to lose as my you co-host. just <laughs> as you just explained the reason why qualified immunity did not hold up in this case. I just almost unplugged, closed my computer, and just left. I know it's because a lot. Those reasons have been true in so many videos involving black people. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, And, and, and I feel like I have to say this. I am one of those people where if a fly comes into my house, then the fly is in my house. If I can catch them and release them, I'll do it. I don't do roaches and I don't do mosquitoes, but everything else, if you're on your journey and it's not, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take your life. You know, mosquitoes is a little different and roaches provided that they're in my house. That's different too. Um, but I value life full stop. So I'm not necessarily trying to compare the life of a dog to a human being. I think that there is a comparison that should go without saying there, but only because in theory, our capacity to empathize with other human beings, we're human beings, we should be able to empathize with other human beings. That should be prominent. It should be assumed. It should be consistent. You know, if you found a baby bundled up somewhere you're not just going to say wow neat baby and keep walking right there's something in us that says oh my gosh this baby is alone i now have to stay with this baby until we figure out where this baby goes right there's there's some part of us that says we have to respond to the humanness there's a there's a human component that compels us to empathize and to defend and take action and preserve life right I, I don't imagine anybody listening or not listening would argue with that statement. If they do, then, you know, there are some sicknesses that we could explore, but for the most part, healthy control would govern themselves in that manner. So no life is greater than or less than another life, but I do believe that in theory, in human beings should empathize with, with other humans first so this this comparison is not to devalue the life of the dog, but rather to create a cri- critical examination of why the courts will take action in this instance and, you know, pierce the veil of qualified immunity. But when it comes to black bodies, you know, oftentimes they just don't do that. Your thoughts, Q. And even if not first, as is true with Black Lives Matter, Two, right? Even if you're not going to place the value of our lives first, right? Because that has never even been our request for ours to be first or greater than or more paramount. How about also 
<laughs> right? Like we're as important or valuable as the dog, right? We don't have to be first, more important, foremost. No, just, you know, if, if the dog that presented no danger constitutionally could be protected and therefore qualified immunity removed, what about the black kid yeah. or dad or brother or daughter or mother or cousin or sister or brother or you get where I'm going here? Let me add something right there. Okay, so the dog is approaching the officer, right? Um, and the officer uses this to suggest my life is in danger. I needed to take action, okay? Um, countless examples of black people running away from the officers because in, 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 I remember watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there was a jazz for those that haven't seen it. DJ Jazzy Jeff uh, is a DJ hero of mine and cues. Um, but jazz play was uh, a character on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And he said, uh, there was a line in the show. I couldn't tell you which episode, but he said, you know, I, I stopped doing what I was doing and put my hands up before I got six warning shots in the back. Right. And it was supposed to be funny, but this was in 92, 93. So, you know, very much part of my childhood, but we know this going all the way back, you know, policing and black bodies have never really meshed well together, but um, running from the police is something that we know uh, happens because the police by and large have always been something to fear um, because of situations like that, you know, um, and, and, you know, we can name, I forget the man's name and he deserves better. Um, but the, in Georgia at a Wendy's um, I'll find his name, but it, there was a Wendy's in last year. He was sleeping in his car. Yeah. He, he, he's, he stopped because he was drinking um, he stopped and, and fell asleep in his car and the police showed up and uh, he got, he was talking to the police at first, got, got afraid or got scared and tried to run away and they shot him in the back and he died. Um, and that's not an isolated incident. Uh, um, Rashard Brooks is his name. Rashard Brooks. Exactly. And then uh, Jacob Blake shot in the back uh, a bunch of times um, and on and on, you know? And so, this is a real thing. Remember, this dog is walking toward the officer and the courts uh, pierced the veil of qualified immunity. But in no, either of those cases, the officers are able to hide behind qualified immunity, um, which means that they will not be criminally prosecuted. Um, civil, I don't know. But, you know, the way the story goes with criminal justice in this country wouldn't surprise me. Um, you begin to see that no matter what you do. Um, okay, who was the, the man that was in his car and he let the officer know he had a gun? He was with his, I think it was his girlfriend. He says, I have a, I have a gun and I'm a card-carrying member of the gun carriers club. And the officer got afraid, pulled his gun out, shot him in the passenger seat. And we saw the video pick up right there where he slumped over in the front seat of the car. You know what I'm talking about, yes? Yeah, I know the story. Okay. I forget his Unfortunately, name. Unfortunately, you know why you forget his name, Ramses? 
I do because there's so many. Type type black man shot <laughs> on Google, and That's... Google automatically populates the word police, and then <laughs> thousands of stories pull up. Sure. That's why you can't remember his name. The point is, and he deserves better, and I will find his name too. The point is, is that whether you're communicating with the police, whether you're silent, whether you're sleeping, whether you're running toward or running away from, no matter what. Whether you're home in bed. Hey, the list goes on. Um, these things can happen. And what happens is they keep happening because officers are able to hide behind qualified immunity. There's no, effectively no consequences for it, provided the officer says, I was afraid. But the court says that in the instance of this dog, there's no reason to be afraid. Qualified immunity does not apply. And this trial can proceed. So imagine the slap in the face that every black person who's felt the sting of police injustice feels on the heels of that. And that is an awful place to leave it. But unfortunately, we're out of time for this part of this show. So we're going to have to move on. But certainly something to ponder there. Um, and, you know, I, my belief is that we just got to do better as brothers and sisters. We really have to empathize and figure out ways to do that. So hopefully we'll find out a way to do it. Stick around your radios. We're coming back with more Civic Cypher right after this.